In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. I'm Jared. And I'm Greg. And this is Modern Apocrypha. Welcome to the show, episode three. Episode Please three. check us out at EnergyMetrisUniverse. No. E6Universe.com. E6. I do that all the time. That's all right. It's E6Universe.com. Yep. And for the podcast, are we using, is it? Uh, ModernApocrypha.com. I mean, it's Modern Apocrypha. I mean, I have modernapocrypha.com. I will be putting links to the podcast up there. I haven't gotten to it yet, but by the time we'll people see this, I probably will have. So, yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. For the best tracking for this location, would we use uh, E6 or we use, what are we doing for the podcast tracking? Oh, I would say use uh, modernapocrypha.com for the, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, the, the, the book is a sponsor, so... That's fine. We can definitely reference e6universe.com. People can head over there, and you were about to say promo code Israel if they're interested in uh, Brightstar. But um, as far as the podcast itself, modernapocrypha.com is definitely the way to go. Absolutely. Oh, I suppose that's a great place for me to break in. Yeah. Um, I said in one of our previous discussions that I would stand with Israel, and then I just got hit by... Uh, a message that that's just not the right nomenclature. That's not the right words to say. You know, I can't stand in any place. Uh, my my instruction is to follow Jesus. So in that, I still believe that Israel will be doing the the correct thing for their country. Well, but you know, we've, there, there are a couple of things that we could break down there real quick because, you know, the political things that Israel is doing aren't necessarily aligned with what God would have them to do. But at the same time, God said, he promised that he would bless Israel, that those who bless Israel, he would bless and those who curse Israel, he would curse. And Jesus was a Jew and that, you know, Paul for quite some time in the new Testament went into how through the Jews, all the rest of the world would be blessed, how much more so it, when they know Christ. So I think it's, it's only right to say that you are in favor of the people of God, God's people Israel. You're in favor of them because God is in favor of them. That has never changed. And, and the whole substitution theology thing just doesn't fly it it's an invention it's it does not fit with the scripture so you know you know what i'm talking about by that right substitution theology i don't know it by name okay substitution theology is the idea that the christian church that the church of that is christ's bride has substituted for israel in god's promises and it's it's a nice idea. It's an interesting narrative, but there is nothing in Scripture to back it up. So, and I, with that, I would say that uh, for the followers of Jesus Christ in this day and age, it is a book of prophecy. It it's not saying things that are to happen in the physical world. Sorry, come again. Scripture uh -huh. is a book of prophecy. We we believe that Jesus Christ was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. That was a historical moment, not a spiritual moment. That okay. So usually, the description of 
Okay, so usually when people use the word prophecy, what they mean is it's a description of something that is going to happen in the future. So and I believe that we have not fulfilled all of the prophecy. Okay, that's the yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay, so and and so yeah, that's true. There's there's a historical portion. There there are prophetic things in there. There's plenty of things that haven't been fulfilled yet. You're absolutely right. So yeah, anyhow, I you know when it comes to standing with Israel, what I would say is just that Israel is because they are still in a sense their culture is still the core of the judeo-christian values in the modern world america was for a long time but um anymore israel is more they are more worried about hurting women and children they are more worried about harming civilians when they do you know when they take action than america is by orders of magnitude the number of the number of women and children that America has killed over the last 20 years is staggering, and people don't even know it. You know, you look at you look at the, how many bombs have been dropped by America over the last 20 years. It's ridiculous. Well, and the real, like, pin in the point there is do you trust that as America has killed people that they don't even know who they are, that the direction came from the power or were they doing a favor for another power right you're, you're taking yeah i don't know yeah no no that you're right and we don't know exactly but we do know that when israel is like right now with what's going on with hamas as we're recording this israel is genuinely concerned about the harm they're causing to people who are non-combatants they really are where the other side really isn't. And so we can say that all the nations around them and the especially the Islamist uh, forces that are inside their country in Gaza and in the West Bank, a lot of them celebrate the deaths of Jews. They, they hate Israel. They... <laughs> it, it, it's not... It's not a fair comparison. So... I think that in any case where a people is surrounded by enemies who celebrate when they die and they're genuinely concerned about how many of their enemies, uh, non-combatants and women and children they harm, that it's pretty bloody obvious who the good guys are. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't endorse anything that or everything that Israel does, but at the same time, it's really hard to not see the stark contrast. It is. it is. Okay, so um, what we wanted to talk about in this episode was demons and aliens, sort of as a, what would you call it, coming along from the last episode, our, our topic was sort of powers and principalities and how the spiritual forces show up, and this is sort of a, an interesting segue from there, and it, it sort of plays on the news that we're getting lately about, uh, you know, aliens are real, coming from the the powers that be, the the state. Indeed. Well, and I, I come up with what I thought was a clever title. Uh, Demons and Aliens, Appearance versus Character, Self-Expression, and Anti-Truth in Nomenclature. You're going to have to unpack that one. Sure. So the idea that it come into my head, uh, just growing up in the West, we have uh, the same exact image can be described in multiple ways. So you've got, um, oh, goodness, I'd like to use a, a common pop culture character. Are we allowed to use Winnie the Pooh or whatever without being in trouble? Oh, sure, sure. Um, you, when it comes to just talking about these subjects, the only thing we could actually probably get in trouble for at this point, is there are two things. One would be uh, playing actual pop music because the music industry is super, super jealous of their copyright rights. And the other one that we could probably get in trouble for would be actually slandering somebody. Sure, sure. So with the character Darth Maul mm -hmm. from the Star Wars series, yeah. that is a demonic character with a demonic um, appearance. Yep. As opposed to something like, oh, 
goodness gracious, I'm trying to think of something with an angelic appearance, but a demonic. Well, generally, all of Western uh, media that plates, places the white man bad, you know, we've got all of our um, major villains are 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 the uh, of course Mister Evil with his cat. Yeah, you know. So the demons and aliens being placed into a place based on uh, a visual, not a character in okay. modern uh, media, and that being a, a, a broad brush to misinform or at least give people the wrong impression of what they're looking at. Okay, I see. So the idea being that what a demon is is being divorced from what we would, how we would actually see it, or how we would actually encounter it in pop culture. Exactly. Okay. So if you see something that is very ugly, yeah, um, and that's entirely up to the individual, of course. Sure. Uh, and then also taking the very ugly and reversing the actions so that the the worst characters are presented as the good guys the, yeah. the worst story ever written for this i think it may have been the the modern post 70s uh rebirth of a, a anti-hero and that is the character lobo I'm he not familiar is, with this. You should. I mean, why in the world would anybody uh, know about it if you were not a rebellious teenage boy? The the character's design as pure pale, uh, black-haired, demonic, um, say anything, do anything, so long as it resulted in damage, destruction, death, and anarchy. Yeah, okay. I see what and you're saying. And exalted as the hero of the story. Got it. Got it. So anti-truth and nomenclature, the idea that that because nobody believes in the enemy anymore, we can take concepts that are genuinely evil and paint them as good in popular culture in a way that makes it so it's confused. Well, it isn't confusing. People start to identify with the evil. Mm -hmm. okay. And then, yeah. Let's move further in the self-expression and anti-truth and nomenclature. Oh, gosh. The story of the, is it Jacob and the Pharaoh that uh, has the seven uh, years of famine yeah. and seven years mm -hmm. of plenty? It's, it's like Joseph, the, yeah, but yeah. And he has a coat of multicolors? Yeah. Oh, and then what would the multicolor coat represent in today's modern age? I, I'm not entirely sure. I, you know, I used to know what that multicolored coat represented at the time, and I don't. If I saw a rainbow coat in this ah, day and age. Okay. Got it. I thought you were asking for a parallel to what it meant then in today's age, and that I'm not sure about. But if we saw a rainbow coat today, we would know exactly what that meant. Got but it. Would you? Would you? If I saw a rainbow-colored, brown-skinned man that looked like he was visiting from Kenya, I would have a pretty good idea that he was religious. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, context. Right, right. Somebody somebody uh, who's obviously acting queer from our culture, I mean, then it becomes equally obvious what that means. So No, it does not. Look at uh, Douglas Murray. He's straight-collared, wears a suit, he's standing with Israel in a military sense. He's... Douglas Murray man. is Douglas Murray is a human being without a foundation. He has he has a set of values that are based on nothing. He's got a set of values based on personal experience. Based on personal experience in a culture that used to be Judeo-Christian, he sees clearly enough to understand where truth is because he wants to be honest to a point, but he doesn't want to be honest enough to to admit that homosexuality is not something that can align with God. And so that has that unwillingness to 
to surrender that to God has resulted in him not having a relationship with God. So he has the values of the Judeo-Christian culture. He's honest enough to want good things, but he is essentially a person without a foundation. And I would say for anybody watching anywhere, the West perspective, the, I don't know, my perspective, yeah. is certainly that the best way to be is to walk with Christ, but there's no excuse to go around hurting people. Well, yeah. The, the idea that there are gradations of evil, that there are levels of bad, is something that the, the church, that Christianity, has done a really a, a huge disservice to. We've kind of like... I would add this for yeah. anybody as well. If you are, you know, of the book and just think that you should segregate yourself from people, if you were to... Uh, not hire a person you would not have access to them if you would not attend a church with someone you would not have access to them it's true you can't allow evil to take place in your spaces but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't only, you should not only preach to the choir okay and and what i would say is that you shouldn't allow evil to take place in your spaces it's that you should not you should not make excuses for things that are bad and call them good, but that it is not our responsibility to control other people's lives and make them be how we think they ought to be, what we think is good. So, like, you know, in the case of Douglas Murray, I have no desire to force him to do anything, but I will tell you why I think he doesn't have a foundation. And he would say himself... At least when I've when I've listened to him and others who share a very similar perspective, they often say, "Yeah, we need Judeo-Christian values. We need the God of the Bible to have a healthy culture." But I can't personally get there because I, I just can't see it. I can't do it. And those people are like C.S. Lewis. I don't know how much you know about C.S. Lewis. Very little. I read the books when I was young. Okay, C.S. Lewis wrote the Narnia books, but he also wrote a lot of other books and a, a large number of them were nonfiction. He called himself the most reluctant convert in Christendom, something like that. And it's because he came to Christ reluctantly. He did not, he came from exactly the same place that Douglas Murray and others like him are in. And it's because C.S. Lewis he was, I, I believe he started as a, either an agnostic or an atheist, and he wound up in a place where he loved the Lord. And it was because he loved truth more than he loved his own attachment to things. And I'm hoping, you know, in, in, in the case of people like Jordan Peterson or Dave Rubin, we can see similar movements. Those guys are moving toward God, and they don't believe the same things I do. They have different opinions, and that's okay. Same with Douglas Murray, same with a lot of other people, but I'm still going to give my own opinion about where I think they're falling down. I have no desire to force them to live a particular way, provided they're not hurting anybody. Well, and I do believe that they're helping quite a few. Oh, absolutely. They they are. Are. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no argument. I'm just saying when we talk about people like Hamas who are going around murdering people and celebrating it, that, that's an entirely different kind of thing. It's an entirely different animal. And how do you work through that? You've got individual Jews, you've got the people of the Jews, you've got individual Palestines, and you've got the group of Hamas. Where in your brain, whenever you like, every time I speak on this topic, I like wrench myself back that Hamas is like saying Democrat. It's just it doesn't mean anything as exactly because well the, yeah. okay so i'm i'm going to to explain the way I, where i'm at with this i'm going to pull on past experience again i'm going to say i you know i've spent some time in the journalism world and that sub society has a certain set of blindnesses and a certain set of preconceptions and whatever and because they all tend to fall or follow in the same direction, they all wind up 
in the same under the same influences spiritually. They wind up under the same principalities spiritually. It's a choice they make. And I would say Democrats are kind of the same way, and Hamas is kind of the same way. They all wind up under the same spiritual powers because they make the same choices and they open themselves up to the same things. And likewise, you know, we, we can look at how, how those people are indoctrinated because when you have, all you have is state media of one sort or another, and I call it that, but really it's just all you get is one set of ideas. It's really hard to change your perspective. It does happen. There are people who come to know Christ in a society where there is no access to the gospel. We have records of it, but that's very, very rare, where what's more common is when you introduce people to a new idea, that idea can then change their lives, change their the way they look at things. So when you're asking about Hamas, we've got a combination of different things. The first thing that we've got is we've got, on a spiritual level, they're being influenced by something that is genuinely bad. It wants to hurt people. It's really obvious. You can tell a tree by its fruit. The fruit of that tree is violent and destructive and celebrates murder. Okay, So on a spiritual level, you can tell they're under a bad influence. The ideas that they're exposed to don't include a lot of... You know, you say what you want about Western the problems we have in the Western world. At least here you can find Christianity. At least here you can find good ideas without it being a total um, end of your, you know, without I'm actually trying to kill you for it. Though I know of a lot of people who have been Democrat who come to a Republican or a conservative side and they wind up losing all their friends. They get totally socially rejected. So we're losing some of the the appreciation that free ideas make for a healthy society. But we still aren't trying to kill each other regularly just because, you know, one person's a Democrat and the other's a Republican. I, I ha still have a few friends who are on the left who argue vehemently with me about things, and that's okay. So, so that when you're talking about Hamas, you've got those two layers. And then on a conspiracy level, I, I kind of skipped it. I went from the, the spiritual level straight up to the a sort of a deeper political level. But on a conspiracy level, what would we say? Any thoughts? Anything like when you're looking at it through the lens of, of people who don't acknowledge the spiritual, what would you say that, that sticks out to you that's beyond a, a simple they don't have access to information sort of thing? It generally comes across as a naivete, a, a lack of understanding of history, mm -hmm. but that's maybe just an, a lack of understanding of the spirit. I don't know. You know, it, it's, it is and hard to draw that That's not comparing history and spirit. That's, I'm not saying yeah. they're the same thing. Anyway, um, we, we've kind of gone off on a tangent here. Do you want to keep going this way or you want to try to pull back? I was actually going to bring up the spiritual versus the physical reality backdrop in the uh, Overton okay. window as a way to pull it back. Um, okay. Well, and that that's fair. In the process, do we want to uh, pause for a commercial break or... No, we're not quite there yet. Let's let's hit spiritual versus physical and get into the backdrop. And actually, the bit about the information that they have access to in the Western world is a good place to go there. So when we talk about um, the spiritual versus the physical, there's this, we have the this pesky Overton window that people, about what people are willing to talk about and what people aren't willing to talk about. And your and my Overton window is a lot bigger than most people's, which is probably what's going to determine the audience for this podcast. If you're watching this, you're probably more open to different things, different ideas, things that are not popular in the mainstream than most people are, because if you weren't, you would probably have quit by now. Um, Indeed. Here's a good example, yeah. actually. We were having a funny. <clears throat> we uh, know from history that uh, the World War I Navy was a weight on the American government's finances. Okay. And therefore, we had a look away uh, for another power to destroy that uh, equipment. We oh, knew about in it in advance. Yep, yep, in the Pearl Harbor. And so uh -huh. this is a historical fact. Right? Nobody argues this happened. But if uh, you were to go out to a, a random person and say, 
there's some chance that the oh what is it the zombie wealth the the necrotic asset uh for all of the high-rises that are 100 years old that nobody wants to go back to after covid could easily pick up a um a casualty of war uh, what do you call it uh collateral damage uh-huh interesting so the, the scenario that i was uh grisham noveling would mm-hmm. be a uh uh, a land-based nuclear weapon over New York City to get rid of all of that necrotic uh, asset. The commercial real estate that that's now a dead mm-hmm. weight on the people who own it. And right, yeah, mm-hmm. it would be the same location as a previous low attack. It would, yeah, it would give the businessmen a lot of free insurance money. There's so many layers going into it being a possibility. But you tell someone like, "Oh, there's no way in the world New York could get nuked." No chance. Hmm. Well, <laughs> that—that's one of those predictions I hope doesn't come true. But, Ellen, how could you ever believe? Who was at fault? Uh, everybody that would be against it, everybody that would be for it. The human lives on the ground are one of the smallest allocations of of uh, will to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. I I don't know, man. I don't know. Anyway, I <sighs> that's kind of got me going in other directions now too. But but as far as spiritual versus physical, I get I guess the the point that I wanted to hit here was sort of how over the past two hundred years, going back to the Civil War time to now, um. We've, we've sort of gone from a general acknowledgement that spiritual things have a real impact on the physical to uh, almost a total denial that spiritual things existed, and now they're sort of being reintroduced in a way that is kind of sideways, and it follows the enemy's agenda. Does that make sense? It does. So, so to me... When we talk about let's let's say just for example aliens, we see this this aliens being uh, news about aliens being released by the powers that be, and we immediately go, oh, those must be beings from another planet that are bi- just just as biological as we are, that are just the same as we are, that evolved from nothing just as we did, and th- that's sort of the common mainstream narrative where. When you look at it through the through eyes, five hundred years ago, they had UFOs then too. They have pictures of them. They have descriptions of them. We have carvings of them in ancient uh, masonry, in ancient stone, like in Egypt and various places. And some of that stuff isn't real popular. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to oh. bring up um, the the biblical ties to uh, the alien. Yeah, That's... yeah, no, there's, well, you, you read in Ezekiel about the weird thing with wheels. I mean, there there's some weird stuff there that could be UFOs. Well, the, the fact is, we know that these ancient beings, these ancient spiritual beings, are credited by the Bible and Enoch, and Enoch enlarges on it greatly, with giving humanity technology, with teaching us how to do everything from metallurgy to astronomy to astrology to magic to uh, what have you, uh, building cities, things like that. We were taught those by spiritual beings, which how then did we lose the notion that those beings have technology themselves? Because there's nothing that says that they don't. We just sort of assume today that spiritual beings wouldn't have technology. I don't know. What do you think? It would make very little sense to me under the concept that we're built in his image Mm -hmm. that the means and methods that we and we tend to use would be the ones that were shown to us so meaning what nothing nothing in the word says that god came and showed it says that he sent his messengers right so that 
why the messengers wouldn't be using the same thing they're teaching. Exactly. Okay. Uh, they're, they're I mean, sharing... it's logical when you think about it. It's logical when you put it together. But, but before recently, it had never really all come together for me, this idea that, oh, yeah, spiritual beings use technology too. I mean, that, that was like, it's just totally not in the modern mind that that's the case, and you don't necessarily connect it, right? It's very difficult to get through the Tower of Babel. How many languages over how many centuries are you trying to peel this out, the truth out of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Well, and, and I guess to me, what's interesting is that this whole thing never really, it never really turned into a modern view of things until two or three hundred years ago. It wasn't until the Enlightenment that we started to see this sep this drastic separation of the spiritual from the physical. Before, it was all kind of... Well, and here's a good proof to that. Yeah. Um, if you look at 1800s uh, documentation, they do give as a reason we are saying this is the way the world works because it cannot be a religious explanation. We yeah. refuse a okay. religious explanation. Well, and, and that's absolutely right. During the Enlightenment, during the, um, they, they started and we know totally these rejecting characters. anything spiritual. We know these characters, the most famous of which is Darwin. But if you look at Darwin and his circle right, of, of intellectuals and read the paper they wrote, and just, they, they left notes for us, mm -hmm. and it is not hidden or covered or obscured in any way that their explanation for why they stated the, the worldview that they had was to deny a religious explanation. So what you're saying is men were running away from God then too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously they were, but, but our, our modern legacy of that is a science that totally denies the existence of anything it considers spiritual for no particular reason and with no particular grounds. It just assumes that it's impossible. Well, and it has fingers everywhere. Um, you and yeah. I both um, consume a reasonable amount of pop culture, as it were. Um, sure. And I've heard it said <clears throat> that if there's a computer that could intake all of the information and through information affect the real world, that would be God. And that feels like wildly like putting something in the place of God. Right? The point is you can't make the computer. It does, don't, yeah, if you try, you're going to kill yourself. It, you can't do it. Well, actually, that that does sort of pull us to the, one of the other things I was hoping to hit on, and that's kind of simulation theory, you know? Okay, what is simulation theory as a, like, define that? What's that okay, mean? so simulation theory is the idea that we live in a simulated world created by super intelligent beings in their computer somewhere. I mean... You, you, you talked about Scott Adams, you... You'd mentioned him to me a while back. He's one of the people who actually genuinely believes that we live in a simulation. There are a lot of other very prominent people who believe the same thing. I feel like that's going to be over time thing. something like evolution where simulations and definition changes. How well, and, and, and the bottom line is all of these things we've been talking about are people's attempt to deny the reality of a sovereign creator who has every who has every right to have authority over us it's just running to other places to try to explain reality in a way that makes sense when because you don't want to point a finger at the creator where the creator is the only really logical source of everything and all of this stuff simulation theory evolution all of the different things we've seen through the ages are just watered down uh, watered down gods a watered down version of a creator that people run to to try to avoid dealing with reality 
and it's difficult. Reality is hard. Slaps you and beats you down and crushes you and burns you. And well, and we get into we get into all the reason, all the things like, what? How does a good God let bad things happen? How does and and that's one we. I mean that, that we need. We practically need a whole show for that one. You know. Yeah, we can put we can put a pin on that one for sure. That's yeah. Anyway, so just sort of finishing up this thought before we move on to the next one. Um, UFOs have traditionally come from not outer space, but when we get when we get UFO sightings, they come from the oceans. They don't come from space. Did you know that? I hadn't seen that they'd had a bound well, top or bottom. Gen- well, and I don't I think there is a bound. Only I descended into water, but also descended into earth. Okay, water or earth. But the point is that most of the time when people sight unidentified flying objects, it isn't that when they leave, they go up into space. When they leave, when they disappear, more often than not, most of the time, they actually go down into the water or into the ground. It's not off to the horizon or... No, it's generally down to the ground or into the water or something like that where they disappear. Which, I mean, if you... If you believe that their origin is extraterrestrial from outside the Earth and that they are some other intelligent species that, as the mainstream believe, believes, evolved from something else, then that's a, a pretty um, odd thing. But if instead you believe that Satan and his angels were cast out of heaven into Earth and that they currently live in Earth, then... I mean, it makes perfect sense that they would go down into the water or into the ground, and it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them to go up out into space. Have we seen anything uh, coming in or going out to uh, the stars? You know, I don't pay a lot of attention to the whole UFO scene, so Uh, I don't don't know. I don't know, and I don't know. (laughs) I mean, that's just kind of the bottom of it. I do hold my guarantee that I don't know it all. It's just, I don't know it all. No, that's right. Uh, So as I've watched it, I've taken it with a grain of salt. I don't, I don't place it in true or false. I I place it in a wait and see. Fair enough. None of them have come and talked to me. That's true. That's true. Well, and, and anytime, actually, I have heard stories of people who, take authority over them in the name of Jesus and they like run away. I have heard of that, which is sort of indicative, right? It certainly would be. Um, The only other thing that I would add here, and after that we can go to break if you like, um, is that the other thing that I encountered recently that I thought was really interesting was this notion that one of the things that we're going to be seeing in the near future is an alien invasion and or an expected alien invasion and that what that actually is is the enemy who is currently here on earth preparing for Christ's return and we do know that Christ comes from the heavens when he returns so the idea that these spiritual beings that have been cast down into earth would then say, Oh, we're going to have an alien invasion and they're evil and it's Christ returning. Isn't that big a stretch to me? It does. It certainly would make sense with every Hollywood movie showing us uh, at war with them. Absolutely. It would. And it, and it, you know, that could be one of those long cons the enemy's pulling to try to pull society to, because one of the things we know in the Bible that doesn't really make sense to most Christians is we know that the Bible says that in the, in the, at the end of the age, there will come a time when Satan gathers his forces, not just his spiritual forces, but his physical forces, his, the armies of the world, to oppose the, the returning of Christ, to oppose God and his people. And it doesn't make a lot of sense that that'd be the case unless there's actually an excuse for that. And this could serve, you know, if, if all of the governments 
the major governments of the world announced sort of simultaneously that they were expecting an alien invasion and they're preparing for it. And all of a sudden, the armies of the world are preparing to fight this threat from outer space. Well, I guess that would sort of be a bit pretty indicative to me. That's possible. I, I'm not convinced. I just thought it was a really interesting thought process. Absolutely. Well, and at what point in my understanding of history, at what point did the militaries of the world not protect untruth? Well, at what point did militaries not protect anti-truths? Lies? I, uh, I don't even know how to begin analyzing the question. So... The end time change would be that truth can't be stopped. As opposed to it's always being fought. fought. The end truth time, is being... The end time, what people consider the end time isn't necessarily the end time. It's the end of the age, meaning it's the time when things change in a major way. And as we understand it, Christ returns physically to earth to rule the nations with a rod of iron, to actually physically thing. direct things. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that uh, came up through pop culture at some point. Uh, what will this period of time be remembered for? Right? Will it be the atomic age or the industrial age or the avionic age? And I said right, right from the get-go that this is the age of lies. But we will find out that everything from Pearl Harbor, you know, everything going on was yeah. not, didn't happen like that. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. I, right, so you've said is, it before, and I agree. I think that that's as good a description as anything. And, and actually, Revelation. The well, the age of lies, and you know what you know what the word apocalypse means. It means the lifting of the veil, the revealing of the truth. And with that, let's go to a break. Seems. All right, we'll be back. Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by Energemetra 6 and the new book Bright Star by Jared Michaud, that's me, coming out in April 2024. Uh, if you're interested, head over to e6universe.com to join our book launch team for a free copy or to buy a copy with the promo code Israel for 10% off. Modern Apocrypha is also brought to you by North Arrow Coffee. Now, I don't drink coffee, but North Arrow Coffee is the coffee company that's so good that even those of us who don't drink coffee love it. It's a pro-life coffee company. 15% of every purchase goes toward a pro-life cause. You can see right on their website what those causes are and uh, where they're spending that money. If you use the promo code E6, you get 10% off on your order. And thank you. Now back to our show. So bringing it back into the topic of culture mm -hmm. and myth and building myth and, and really building characters. Um, okay. The difference between a demon and alien and how you would approach, how, how do you describe something that's novel and different looking as opposed to a demon? Would you approach in a fictional work for yourself, uh, demons in, in topic? Is that something that you feel is appropriate to put out there for young adult reading? You know, where, where are you? Okay, well, I, I, you know, that, that C.S. Lewis quote comes to mind again, the one of children will encounter dragons in the world. What they also should learn is that there are brave knights. Um, Right. So I do think it's perfectly appropriate to portray demons and and even in 
even real world examples, one of the things I'm going to require of my my kids before they finish high school is to read the book Ordinary Men just so that they understand what human monsters look like and how they're, you know, what the genesis is, how they're, how they come to be. How do people turn into monsters? I'm going to make sure that they read that. Now that's provided we don't have to live through something similar, which is not totally out of the question at this point, but, you know, provided it's appropriate, we'll, we'll make sure that they understand how you turn into a monster. So yeah, I think it's appropriate to portray them. As to how you do it, you know, the first thing that comes into my head is, you ever hear the, the phrase, the banality of evil? I have heard the phrase. I have heard the phrase. Okay, so basically what it comes down to, when you start to look at things that are evil, it's like they sort of all descend into the same mold. They all sort of turn into the same monster, the same kind of thing. They're all doing the same thing at some, at some level. Ver variety in evil is actually much harder to achieve than variety in good. And I would say that this is actually something that C.S. Lewis explained really well. I would say that when you're, when you're actually exploring the goodness of God's creation, you find that the better things get, the more themselves they become. And this is actually a huge uh, pet peeve of mine. People talk about being less like me and more like Jesus. And every time I hear this, I, I like I, my, my teeth grind and I clench my fists because the reality is what God made us to be is infinitely variant. It's infinitely different from other people. The, the, the more good we are, the more closely we are inhabiting the best thing that we can be, the more different we're going to be from each other in some sense, the more we're going to fulfill the role that he made us to naturally fulfill that is totally different from what everybody else is doing. This whole sitting on a cloud playing harps thing when it comes to heaven is such total nonsense. It just... It no, doesn't meet the written description. No, and the reality is, it's like I say, evil all sort of collapses into a singularity of sameness, where good tends to have infinite var variation and infinite variety. And so when you're creating a character, things that are good are actually very easy to portray. It's, it's easy to find something interesting that's good and explore it. Then you can kind of pull that into how does this go bad? How does this turn evil? What What is the disintegration of this character look like? And that can be interesting. But actually portraying something evil is really freaking boring because evil is evil, and that's kind of all evil is. Right. Does that make sense? Uh, it does make a lot of sense. You know, my Western education... Yeah. Uh, Places things like uh, man versus nature, man versus man, man versus self. Um, and it's really, really boring to say the uber nasty evil sorceress that killed my kids, right? And we're going to save the kids. Right. Well, um, I mean, it's very common, right? So it has become, it has become familiar to us so that makes it boring sure well and the the story could have that if it's not important and if the, the point of the story is internal struggle if the point of the struggle is um the development of the friendships between characters yeah right, the mm -hmm. specific evil at the end of lord of the rings is really much less important than the camaraderie and how they handled getting to the the trouble. It's true. You know what the most interesting thing to have ever happened is? 
the all-powerful God, the, the all-powerful God choosing to take on human flesh and come to earth and suffer and die in order to legally take back authority over what happens on earth from the beings that it had been given to and just how all of reality fits together and all of the all of the intricacy that I'm learning about in what happened in the spiritual world we Christians take this stuff for granted a lot, but when you actually start to look at how creative God got in solving this particular problem, it's amazing. It's it's astounding. And he's always kind of doing that. He's always kind of squaring the square. It's like he takes something that is sort of simple, and in order to make it good, he makes it twice as big and complicated and interesting. It's It's kind of amazing. So... When, when I have written, when I write, the interesting things to write about come in two varieties for me. Number one is writing about things that are true in a way that people haven't seen them before. So, um, Bright Star, I, I just finished it. When I, when I wrote it, it was to try to portray the the work Christ did from the perspective of an imperfect human. So what does an imperfect human in a situation where they're saving the world from something that may not be sin, but it's, it's in a similar mold as what Christ did. So in bright star, he's not saving the world from sin. He's not dying for people's sin like Christ did. Instead, it's a totally different story pattern, but it, he's he is still saving the world from something right so and he doesn't belong in that world and the only reason he's able to save it is because he comes from somewhere where the vulnerability to the things that that world's vulnerable to doesn't exist so it's looking at the myth the true myth of Christ from a perspective that's sort of different from what we're used to and hopefully is fresh and interesting right so that's one. And then another thing that's that's interesting to write about is what are the things that people are actually currently struggling with? What are the what is it that if you sit down and read a book, it's going to grab you by the grab you by the heart and just pull on those heartstrings and maybe show you something that you need to see or give you a a catharsis that's useful. So when you're dealing with things that are actually affecting people, that's that's interesting and fun to write about as well. There are a lot of common themes with what's going on right now that are, I think, pretty easy to write about. Oh, yeah. For sure. Well, and, and easy to write about. If it's easy to write about, it's not worth writing about. But, but that are easy to easy to grab onto because they're important and worth taking the time to write about in a useful way. How's that? Agreed. Okay. With the I'm trying to get the words um in order here for the sure. appearance of a character as opposed to the character of a character. Mm. Got it. Well, do you see negatives in having a story where everybody is a crocodile man? So the game is a, a crocodile man. Just pick oh, a, a crocodile pick a, man. Yeah, just pick something. Mm -hmm. But they are all the same. And therefore, the pushes and pulls that you might describe would be essentially human. Uh, pushes and pulls because we're writing as humans about mm -hmm. about characters. So the idea of uh, uh, everybody could be an alligator man, but your alligator man has short teeth. You know, your alligator man has a loud voice. Your sure. alligator man has. So the the difference is being what distinguish your characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
uh, we we like to do things like golden scales. Uh, no, not you okay. and I, the human race. Right, right. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know that I've thought a lot about this, but I would say that God, the standards of beauty in the world come from God. He gave us those standards of beauty. So, when we're looking at when we're looking at the things that differentiate good and evil, we tend to make evil ugly and good beautiful because we naturally have that built-in sort of instinct that good things should be beautiful and bad things should be ugly. And interestingly enough, in real life, things seem to, things seem to track toward those ends. So if you look at politicians... I'm going to push back on that. Okay. I'm going to push back on that. Push back. A lion is beautiful and pretty. It'll still rip your throat out. A lion isn't evil. A lion okay. is just dangerous. A lion I is see. a lion is it is built to be dangerous. It is it is filling the role that God has made it to fill. It is it is accomplishing its purpose. Where when you take something out of it accomplishing its purpose, it becomes ugly. It becomes Well and perhaps that's a good um pin to point in the difference between ugly and disgusting because disgust is internal you can't it's like oh that's well what's what's that I, that makes me feel weird right that's gross that yuck that yuck right. feeling well, as opposed and, to and i would say i would say the the feeling of well okay so i guess what comes to my mind is the whole difference between acquired tastes and things that are just pleasant to taste automatically it's like our body if you if you feed a kid ice cream most kids almost every kid is going to go ooh ice cream i want more you know that's a fun thing to do on a first birthday is to feed a kid ice cream because they love it it's Has sweet. that been pretty pr cross culturally i don't know but i know oh. that with my kids that's always been the case and that's um and you're talking about little babies who have never had anything but but just you know mama's milk and sure. they most, not everyone, a cup, one of my kids didn't like ice cream. So it isn't, it isn't universal, but that's sort of a natural taste. But when it comes to something like coffee, coffee is kind of an acquired taste, right? It isn't something that you naturally just like, except for a very few people. It's kind of something you acquire and you, you do it partly for the benefit of the energy, partly for the, be partly because it's, um, whatever. And then over time you learn to appreciate it. Something I've never <laughs> never done um, um, but, yes, but uh, i'm a fan of the coffees oh i know you are i know you are um but uh beer is another example i actually like some beers i like certain beers even though there's the bitter thing or whatever i've come to appreciate it but it's kind of an acquired taste so when it comes to beauty versus um well we only have one word for beauty in English that sort of fits, but there's a difference between the things that just automatically inspire awe in you and things where you go, you learn to look at it in a way where you can see the beauty of it. And then the same thing with something that is, you know, ugly and disgusting, where the disgusting draws a reaction out of you, where the thing that you've learned, it's ugly, it's it's kind of a different sort of thing, but I think there's some kind of parallel there. Well, that certainly does give you a, a, a spiritual ugly. Uh, you're greedy, you're, you're selfish, you're right. well, and, hateful. You're... And, and those things, because of the way the world works, because God made it so that those things tend to run together and that good things tend to run together and that, that you can't, Wherever you start in a journey, you're not going to end with the same mix of good and bad, good and evil, um, be beautiful and ugly that you started with. You're going to end up with something that either tends toward the ugly and the evil or tends toward the good and the beautiful. And that's in, in humans as much as it is in anything else and more even. So, for example, you look at most politicians, they're... they're there's something wrong with those people who go after power for its own sake. There's just something wrong with them. There are 
a few people who have gone into those arenas to accomplish a purpose and then come out again and they don't wind up that way. But when you learn to pursue power for its own sake, it makes you ugly over time. It's just kind of a rule where I know plenty of human beings who are the same age as those politicians who I would say are, they're not ugly, they're not disgusting in the same way that you get the visceral reaction off the people who've sold their lives that way. I do tend to get a fairly visceral reaction of someone that doesn't have a patch of true skin showing, it's all makeup, it's all, you know, helmet head, yep. and yeah, very obviously what they're showing is not who they are. So yep. then it feels to me like they're obscuring the the results of their their external uh, what's the word I'm looking for symptoms yeah you know what this pulls to mind there's an older lady at church we where we go she hurt her face recently and it made me look at her you know she she has some bruises on her face and it made me look at her I don't know what happened I didn't ask but but it made me look at her and I went you know you don't get the same um, the same beauty you do from some 20-year-old girl, maybe, but she is a beautiful human being. She is just a beautiful human being, and she makes a point of hugging everybody. She says that's the gift she gets to give people, is she hugs people. That's her gift. And you can see in her face all of the the character that has worked in her. And it's the same with people who have gone the other direction as they get older you can see it in them more and more for what it's worth it's an interesting perspective it is i'm, well, trying, to, I'm trying to not blame the physical appearance on someone who's uh job no, a job that's gone through great tribulation and, and done the right thing is still going to look like, well, I don't want to say bad words, but well, yeah, look bad. Well, it might, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's something about people when you look at them, you can kind of see the character coming through too. And somebody who's gone through stuff like that, I have, I have met a few people who have been sort of that way. And I would say I can see the character coming through, even through the unattractiveness left by the physical things they went through so no and no you can't always judge a book by its cover that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying that it tends to be that that our that our reality follows with the good and evil that we choose that's all some some version of what people like to think of as karma, but put in a sense that's even more real. It's like God designed it so that we reap what we sow, and that shows in people's faces a lot of times. How's that? That's fair. <clears throat> One of the, the greatest, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Reaching out and bringing in new Christians, evangelical movements, mm -hmm. has been throughout the, uh, mm -hmm, evangelism, has been throughout the uh, Middle East, uh, because we smile. They, they look at Christians and like, why are you happy? I, uh, I answer the phone. You can't see me, but I'm still smiling. That right? Well, you can hear and it in builds. people's voices when they are, yeah. And you can see it in my face, you know, from my laugh lines to the creases in my forehead and my happy lines, not my hateful lines. Right. And that is... Certainly something I, uh, I'm i bringing in a tangent here. I'm a huge fan of classical Sherlock Holmes, and depending on how it was done, many Sherlock Holmes throughout the years. And the idea that there are physical representations of the past, of character, of the current situation, mm -hmm. of arrows towards the future, Right there, okay. if you pay attention to the details, uh -huh. right, you can see that, that truth, that obvious truth, is being described through those stories of the reality being imprinted on the moment. 
Gotcha. You know, that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. We've been at this about an hour. Absolutely. I'm already rumbling with more ideas for more topics, but holding off on those for the next time we talk. (laughs) Sounds good, man. Cool. Well, thank you. And thank you everybody for being here and we'll catch you next time.